In this interview, I talked to Will McQuain, an ex-Silicon Valley guy and e-commerce expert that gave me a lot of the secrets to Silicon Valley and how all the big players are making millions on the internet. Make sure you listen or watch till the very end to get it all and learn from it. Welcome to Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vinson. And on this show, I talk to professionals in all different areas and talk about the successes they've had so that you can hear about how they did it. Today, I've got Will McQuain on, and we're going to talk a little bit about startups and the experiences that he's had in them. Will, thank you so much for being on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to get into this. It's been a little while since we've gotten to catch up, and you've been up to a lot of cool stuff. So I think we're going to get into uh, some of those cool experiences you've had. Sounds good. Awesome. So I think the best place to start would be kind of the beginning of where I would say you got into startups in general. So you had one main one that kind of kicked things off for you. Could you tell me a little bit about just how you got involved in that and how that started? Sure. So um, see, I was a couple years out of college and I was working at a startup in San Francisco um, called Tilt. And so Tilt, uh, main focus of what Tilt did was it was a social network built around money. So anytime that groups of people and money came together till it wanted to exist at that intersection. And so we had a consumer app that was where like 95% of the, of the workforce was, was focused on. And then we had a very small team focused on uh, our enterprise product, which was meant to be an alternative to Kickstarter. So somebody who, you know, had an idea and didn't want to look like three guys in a garage launching something. And, you know, maybe people had a little bit of funding, we usually had a prototype or a slick branding and they would launch maybe like a landing page with a with a product under pre-orders instead of crowdfunding. So we built a product that made it easy for people to run pre-order campaigns and manage all of that and, you know, issue refunds and take promo codes and set up referral programs and all of the things that you need when you're kind of like launching a product. So kind of Kickstarter with a little bit less barrier to entry? Kickstarter a do-it-yourself Kickstarter. So instead of existing on the Kickstarter platform where you pay maybe a higher fee in exchange for distribution to their audience, we would take way less of a cut and let you just install a button anywhere you wanted to launch it. Okay. So sounds really good for like someone maybe with an existing audience or someone who really wanted to like focus on growing the audience themselves. Yes. Or somebody who felt so confident in their success that they were willing to spend upfront and not give too much of the fee to a platform like Indiegogo or Kickstarter. So that was very the, cool. So that was the focus. And so in doing that, me and my team got to s- kind of be behind the scenes on a bunch of really interesting product launches. And so, you know, helping the team and sort of knowing like, all right, on Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., they're going to launch, they're going to get press and TechCrunch and Verge and whatever. And we'll watch how this goes on day one, day two, day three, day four. And uh, it was for me, someone who has had always kind of like nerded out on the idea of working at a startup or, or starting something that was like just this really exciting position to be able to watch over and over and over as these groups would come in and kind of like try to shoot out of a cannon. Some of them doing extremely well, some of them doing extremely, extremely poorly. And you got a, a sense of like how to launch, how to launch a product. And so I was watching this for 
I have close to a year before I was like, okay, I, I, now I want to do this. Hey, it's your host, Brody Vinson. Thanks so much again for tuning into Profession Session. And if you're enjoying this podcast, learning anything, please don't forget to subscribe or leave a review if you're listening on audio. Helps so much for growing the show and getting new and better content and better guests on. Thanks and back to the show. Yeah. And so you're seeing just all kinds of different examples. Yeah. Of and, and, you know, some of them were. I'd look at them and be like, oh, these guys are way, way out of my league. They've got a lot of money or they are all sort of like ex-Facebook or whatever pedigree on their resume made them um, seem like the type of people who could do it. And then others weren't that way at all. It was just sort of like some people who had a good idea and a good concept and a good uh, landing page and messaging. And, and I, it sounds like you saw some of those work as well. Yeah, yeah kinda, you saw a lot of the big ones not work. Yeah. Or, or most commonly you saw a lot of people, you know, we, were, we would appeal towards a certain, our demo was a lot of like, at the time, this was maybe 2013, 14, 15. It was a lot of smart, or I guess tech-enabled products or like smart products, like um, like a credit card that you could store multiple different cards on. Oh, wow. Like a smart a drone that would follow you around and film you. So a lot of like yeah. things that would be at CES, um, that sort of stuff. And most commonly we saw people would do, you know, one to two to three million dollars in pre-orders in the first like month or two, just hugely successful kind of like very like sizzle type type products. And then we on the back end would sort of help them figure out how to continue to communicate with their audience and how to deal with refunds after it took them like a year to make the product or a year and a half to make the product or, you know, two years to realize, oh, we're not going to be able to make this product. Now we got to figure out how to refund everybody who we charged two years. Yeah. Ago. Can you help us with that? So all of that wow. was kind of a nightmare. Um, so learned a lot about what what not to do from from those groups. Um, so that was kind of on the like the enterprise side of it. Yeah. So we would deal just deal with a lot of uh, pretty small teams, like some of whom had uh, you know a, a big long term vision for what they were going to do. Like away luggage um, started on. Oh, I have one of their bags. It's so, amazing. So do I. They're, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and so. Just be, you know, they probably at that time had a really great concept for what they were going to do probably had funding probably you know we're just using uh, you know it's not like they needed us as consultants to help them out but we were just positioned well to be like hey this is what tends to work really well when you're first announcing yourself and launching and taking pre-orders and you can use some of this funding to either pay for some of the manufacturing that you're doing or use it to validate to other investors that you're good um you know what you don't want to do is spend all of that money to make the product or to try to make the product and fail. And then when people need refunds, then you've spent all their money and there's messes right. that happen there. But so just giving them kind of a roadmap to like keep themselves on track financially for everything they had yeah, down the so pipeline. And, and specifically it was all the e-commerce functionality that, that they needed to, to run that sort of a thing. So this was like in the early days of Shopify. Now it's super easy to set up an e-commerce store. It was a little more complicated at the time. And so we would work with people to say like, Oh, you need, a referral program where, you know, to help you grow, maybe people who were already customers would say like, hey, you know, use my promo code and I'll get $10 off and you'll get $10 off. Can you guys build that functionality? And we're like, okay, yeah, I feel like a lot of people would want that. Let's work on that because we have this launch. And that, so that that's the nuts and bolts of what, of what I was doing as a product manager for that team. But then behind the scenes, it was like, okay, I, I, I want to do something. Yeah, because this is exciting and yeah, it's cool. Like it's, it was kind of like the dawn of the direct consumer brand movement where you have things like Away Luggage coming out or Warby Parker coming out or Bonobos or you know anybody who is just going to be like online storefront first. Mm -hmm. Casper Mattress is probably the, the biggest example. 
and I really like the look of a lot of those those brands and these kind of like digitally native groups and so i yeah you saw a lot of brands just like spring up almost overnight and find so much success because i feel like people were able to put so much more work into the or chose to put so much more work into the branding because it was brand first yeah so brand first so you invest a lot in the brand and you had just the ability to be a lot more nimble than what like sleep zone or or mattress firm like mm -hmm. that's your serta like serta's business is about like working with you know the distribution of two thousand mattress stores across the country they're not really talking to the customer they have research groups and it's a big you know they're figuring out oh we did xyz thing but casper has the benefit of like really building a relationship with the customer so when they're running ads when they're setting up emails they're they know like oh this type of messaging this type of value proposition converts seven percent better than this one did so let's dial all of our marketing shift to that it'll it just is a savvier way to grow a business when you have all of the benefits of the internet whereas something like Tempur-Pedic when it first started was I I don't know I don't know much about Tempur-Pedic but I imagine it was before the kind of like internet 2.0 of, of communicating back and forth and so it was a cool time to be there and just right place right time for me and so i had always going back to college i was always interested in cigars this was like a thing that i was into in college and i really enjoyed how cigars kind of facilitate kind of like a podcast actually just like it forces you to sit down and mm -hmm. sometimes like an hour and a half two hours sit down and just have a conversation have a conversation and usually usually like a good conversation or like a real conversation it's hard to have kind of like a surface level shallow conversation something about a cigar i think kind of invites you to open up a little bit and so for guys in particular that's just not something that you do a lot unless you're you know golfing or, or whatever so I just that was something I, I was into all through college and I've sort of got a lot of my friends into cigars and for me it was I was never like smoking every day it was it's like an occasional kind of like occasional kind of celebratory yeah. or sort of like you know seeing people you haven't seen in a long time um, kind of how I am with them too it's a I lot of how, fun I think it's how most people most guys are but it's an intimidating thing to get into right you're and I'm gonna get into like messaging of stuff that we workshopped over over you know the years of building the business but so I, I do want to definitely get into the cigar thing but I do want to kind of cover some other parts that we that I don't want to skip past sure. too so kind of taking a step back real quick actually like funny kind of tangent about tilt i was telling you i've told you this before off air but i remember being in college around like the time that tilt was happening and i was telling you like we used it and i was in greek life in college and we used it that you said that was a lot of the demo of like yeah. the non-enterprise side of it is just like social events in college yeah oh i'm sure your experience of it was like oh wow everybody uses tilt for this kind of thing, like, you know, everybody put $3 in an envelope and we're going to have a party on the weekend. Tilt was just a, you know, a little bit slicker way to do that. Yeah. Mobile first. T-shirt orders, events, uh, fraternity formals, like parties, like you said, yep. it, it was very useful for all of that. It was essentially like there would be like a certain amount that you were supposed to pay in and rather than having to like pool everyone's money to one person and then one person pay for it, like the system, it was like a savings, like, like a yeah, quick savings totally. account for that. And so thing. on our end, that was like a very iterative process to to land at the realization that like oh college students in particular that's a very viral market for us like we mm -hmm. would measure we had stats on everything like you know once you started a campaign how likely are you to start another campaign within 60 days and so we would evaluate a bunch of different demographics of how to do that like 
buying a birthday party for or throwing a birthday party or buying a birthday gift for your sister versus, um, you know, like HOA dues versus any number of different like use cases. And so when we measured that, we learned that the stickiness among college kids was like three times what any other demographic was. And so that young was, people that are already tech savvy and mm-hmm. have like things constantly going yep. on. It's, it's people who are always doing things together where usually nobody's rich enough to front the money mm-hmm. for everybody else and get paid back later. And so tilt was the natural like solution for that print for that pain point. And so we very like sophisticatedly focused on building out a, like a growth strategy that was focused on like, we want to be on every college campus everywhere. And yeah. so we had like a college ambassador program that I think at the time was the biggest, like the largest college ambassador program of any brand wow. that existed just because we were so focused on that. And we had, and I don't remember for sure, but you said there was probably an ambassador at UCF where I went. I think that's probably the case. Cause Almost I remember definitely. it was like, it was like overnight we were, it was just like, all right, we're using this now. I was yep. like, Early yeah, we, on, we had, I mean, we had interns who were a lot of them like social chairs of their own fraternity and sorority who we would like send out, you know, to meet with you, you know, we'd start with be like, oh, you were a Sigma Nu, you should go meet with Sigma News. Mm-hmm. And from there, be like, who should I talk to? How do I get, how do I get everybody on? And we would offer like all startups do, you'd offer perks and incentives and ways to make it just really frictionless to do it. Or like, hey, if you guys can raise, you know, do, do a tilt that has like 150 bucks in it, we'll throw in an extra 20 on our end and um and it worked it worked extremely well um now we both know that there, there's kind of like a point where it wasn't as, working quite as well and i definitely want to get into that because I, I think that's a very good thing to cover kind of like the whole startup journey as we were talking about i remember we were using it for i want to say a couple of years when i was in college and then all of a sudden it wasn't around anymore and we we're like what happened? We love Tilt. <laughs> yeah, but so, you have kind of an inside perspective of what happened there. I wanted to cover that a little sure. bit. I so, think. I mean, that was a really fun time to be in San Francisco because uh, there were just, there were, like there, was the a, startup there was a boom. Tilt on every corner, mm-hmm. right? Like whether it was like, oh, we're into cloud computing or we're into crypto or we're into food delivery or, or like laundry delivery, a lot of on-demand services. This was like a few years after Uber came out. So there was right. like this just run of of it's like the gold rush of startups it was it was a cool time to be out there and so ironic that it was also in california <laughs> yeah exactly oh i mean that's, yeah. that's i feel like that's san francisco's the story of san francisco is just mm-hmm. like people come in coming there for some big rush whether it's gold or, or startups um and so yeah i mean i had gotten there i was maybe employee number 20 or 25 something in that wheelhouse until it had just raised its series b round of financing so they you know I, they went through y combinator to get a seed round had a, had an a round on the way out and then as they were spending through that raised something like 30 million for their series b and that was just like Crazy. it really had that kind of like heat around it and it was sort of you felt like one of the like you know prettiest girls in the class in going to talk to vcs and and the CEO, um, my friend James, was just a really magnetic um, founder and salesperson. He's sort of like just the exact cookie cutter type of person that a VC is kind of looking for and trying to replicate, you know, what's worked really well for them in the past, whether it's like a Dropbox or an Airbnb or, a, you know, what have you. So, as far as probably like creating company culture and being able to yeah, like you know, spread that out to the whole team. VCs are, you know, kind of... Re- just specialists in pattern recognition and trying to figure out like, all right, what are we, what are we going to take a risk on that we think is going to be huge and deliver a hundred X return on our money. And there's things that they start to figure out that 
may or not may 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 or may not be true um, for everybody, but like you know, generally founding teams of two, where there's like one sales founder and one engineering founder. If you're building a tech company, that's a pretty good way to do it. Some some VC firms like won't even invest if there's a single founder because maybe just their track record shows that having two people is is better. And having just statistically works out. Yeah, more and have, having run. A, like a startup solo, I get why. Like it's really draining to feel like you're in the trenches by yourself and you don't have. Something. And it's hard to have both of those skills. They're very like, I don't want to say competing skills, but you you don't often find those very strong in the same person. Both very strong in I, one person. I totally, totally yeah. agree. Um, and so that that was tilt until it had a really massive, um, big vision. This is some, I didn't really realize this at the time, but now being a few years out and having fundraised a few times. You know, the, the mindset of um, somebody who does venture capital or even even earlier than that, kind of like seed investing or angel investing, you know, they're probably, if they're smart and they have a process about it, they're making at least 10 bets and they're thinking is that like, hey, I'm assuming not nine of these are probably going to fail, but I need one of the 10 of these to return 100x my money and I'll make back what I invested. You make, make back 90x basically, yeah. And so Tilt's vision, if you think about like, you know, the, the, the early stage of like, we're just getting college kids to spread money around tilts, massive, like 30 year vision was to replace the IRS. Like, right. Like what? Like like taxes are a way for groups of people to pool resources, to build things to that sort of benefit the whole. Right. Wow. And so if you could build a layer that everybody was on and they had this kind of like just long-term vision of the, the just, I guess, three is a mobile adoption plus crypto plus you know one other i forget what the other thing was but just you know to be this platform to empower collective creation there's there were some really cool examples of like a neighborhood in outside of sf maybe like an hour into, into the bay area that was like had a had a big problem with crime and so everybody was dealing with this in their own way and everybody hated it and so somebody in that neighborhood who was just a really motivated um homeowner got like got sort of made the case for everybody they use tilt and they use tilt to pay for security in the neighborhood this sort of like hey this is going to be too expensive for everybody but there's a massive benefit to all of us if we had you know security patrolling around yeah. and, and like over the year that they had it compared to the year before i think crime had dropped like 85 percent and then wow. it was like extremely successful and so those were the kinds of use cases that we were trying to push because we're like this is the vision this is what we wanted to do and imagine you know, let's all pitch in and, you know, fix a pothole or, you know, even things like in Jacksonville, like coming here after living in Atlanta and SF, I'm like, man, there should be like a cool speakeasy bar here. And there's probably enough people who feel that way that mm-hmm. they're like, man, wouldn't it be great? And that like the, you know, big vision of Tilt is like, hey, somebody should just sort of put that out there and be like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had one? I'm going to start a Tilt. I'm going to put a hundred bucks in and you can say like, put it in as little or as much as you want. And if there's enough appetite for it that like, should happen right and i'm trying to think back to correct me if i'm wrong here but from what i remember using it didn't it charge you if it actually tilted so like it didn't actually charge you until it tilted yeah it was like you're making a pledge until it actually yeah so the idea is you're like hey we want to open a bar and it costs twenty thousand dollars to like you know um, that's i think not nearly enough but let's say it's 20k and then you get it up and you everybody chips in and you reach 19 and then the timer runs out you're in your 30-day campaign or however long you wanted it to be then everybody would get their money back and nobody would be charged. That's like the vision for it. On our end, it's hard to be like, okay, we're going to actually like swipe their credit card and tokenize the card. We need the funds to be kind of an escrow on mm-hmm. our end. 
but not um, so the like tech functionality underneath was a lot of logistical difficulties very logistical difficulties especially if like there were some of them that would say like let's say let's simplify it and say we want to we want to throw a party and it costs a thousand dollars to rent the space and I want like as long as 20 people show up I still want to have the party but as much as a hundred people could show up Mm. and so you could say like there's a ways to do it where you split the cost so let's say we're all swiping in and if there's only going to be 10 people at the party everybody has to pay I forget the number I said like a hundred bucks yeah so then but if a hundred people show up everybody only pays 10 bucks so getting really into the nitty-gritty yeah the tech stack but you know when the 20th person swipes their card you've authorized all the cards and then you want to charge everybody, but are you charging them for $20 or are you charging you? Cause you don't know where it's going to end up. Exactly. Um, and so you, that is people, tough. Wow. People, and if you pay with a debit card instead of a credit card, it doesn't actually just authorize the card. It actually, it actually people, charges, it actually charged you. So people will be confused about that. And that's how I started there in customer support. Um, oh, that sounds fun. And dealing with that, you know, people not knowing how their debit card works versus mm-hmm. their credit card or saying like, Hey, my re you know, I want a refund. And there's a lot of that, but it was a great place to start. I think that's a really great place to start in. This is gonna work. Um, a really great place to start in uh company. If you're, if you're young and you don't have, you know, if you're not a coder, you're looking to join a tech company. I think, I think there's a lot of places you could end up um, and customer support is a really great place to start just because you end up being becoming an expert on the product and how the product you have to become a problem solver about the product you become a problem solver you understand who the audience is not not who the desired audience is that they hope is using the app but like if i'm on customer support i'm figuring out like hey nine out of ten of these tickets are college kids so even if you think it's a bunch of wealthy people who are using tilt to fund their hoa Mm -hmm. these are the people that are actually using it way more consistently yeah um and it's so that was i started there and then by the time I left till I was a, a product manager, and I think the time of working and dealing with people's frustrations with the app is a really great thing to have when you're designing it to make sure, like, how can you design a product that doesn't require a lot of customer support, right? We yeah. want to grow. We want to, in the next year, 10x our growth and not hire 10x the customer support agency. Exactly. Ideally. Yeah, I think that's why you see so many big brands that have such big online presences have these very very built out customer support pages where it's like yep. landing pages that go to like multiple yeah, you different do as things. much self-serve as you can mm-hmm. so that you can find your answer because you also don't if you have a problem you would prefer to figure it out quickly as opposed to talk to me even if i'm great even if i like write a you know very human response that you get in 30 minutes it's still better to that you're kind of thoughtfully guided towards oh i have a debit card not a credit card this will get refunded in a few days. I just had an idea. I don't, I don't know if I want to stay on this particular topic for too long, but just while it's on my mind, have you done much research into AI stuff lately? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been really into chat GBT. Same. I just realized I'm always trying to think of like different use cases for it. They could be a really good tool to like help you with customer support. Yeah. Like yeah. it's so, it's still so difficult. I end up like trying to get on the phone with someone so much of the time anyway, because it's so difficult to navigate through all those different yeah. pages. But if you just told chat GPT, Hey, figure out this problem for me, it could do a much better job. Or even, yeah, let, let like, I'm going to just copy and paste everything in our help desk into your brain. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, you have to probably, the hard part about doing that is that it's got to kind of like keep up to date with where the product is so like whatever you upload now might be different than what how the product behaves in, in three months but absolutely yes like 80 almost 80 percent of 
all the issues are things that somebody could have figured out if they would have just read the FAQ. And mm-hmm. so to type it to chat GPT, I think it could pretty effortlessly give a reasonably good answer. It's and then very good got, at distilling things down. Yeah. And then you've got for the remaining 20% who really do need help, who really do have like, you know, a complicated problem, which would happen a lot. Or an unprecedented problem. Yeah, then yeah. having a human who, who can step in is better. But yeah, I mean, there's, it's going to, it's just going to eat so many jobs. It's crazy. It's eat so many jobs. It's crazy. I'm trying to just stay on the, like, on the front curve of it. So I feel like yeah. I'm like keeping up with it, but it's I, very I difficult. Know. I think that now I remember like getting into to TikTok in the early part of like when the pandemic first started and really not realizing how I know that I'm, you know, relative to like 15 year olds. That's like they're two years late, but relative to a lot of people my age, I was very early and I wish that I would, I wish I would have just started making things at the time. There was just so many people who at that point, you don't realize how early you are. And I feel exactly the same way. I'm like, yeah. I got to just gotta dive take advantage into of this it. while we're in the first inning of it. Yeah. I've been having it do all kinds of stuff. Like you can have it write business plans. You can have it write, I mean, you could have it write an essay for you. Hopefully, none of my professors are listening to me say that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I do that too. I've had to do that too. I've had. I've, it'll. It's already written blog posts for me mm-hmm. and the stuff that I'm working on now. Yeah, I feel bad for copywriters. I mean, it's, yeah, I think that there's probably a way to figure out how to get in and adapt a little bit. But I feel bad for copywriters because it's got to really knock yeah. out their job fast. I know, and it's not going to take every. But it like absolutely would just. It's already like I would say eighty percent of copywriting gigs. Mm-hmm. That's how I am. It's like I don't need a lot of what I'm writing for the most part, as long as it's not like, you know, brand copy and sort of like the r- really important defining attributes of what you're trying to do. Like if it's a blog post or if it's an email or if it's whatever, I don't need it to be perfect. I don't yeah. need it to be poetry. I just if it can do 90 percent as good as you were gonna do yeah. in. 0.5% of the time. Yeah. Well, the hard no part for brainer. me is like the blank page. Like I'll just be sitting there and I'll be like, and I'm, I'm kind of like trying to write and edit at the same time, which is not, you know, a great way to do it. But for me to just say like, hey, spit out the Give first me something to start with. And then let me take it from two to 10. It's funny you say that. I was just talking about someone or talking about it with someone last night. I used the example. I don't know if you're a SpongeBob guy. I used the example of the episode where he was trying to write an essay and he spent like the entire night to write the word the... <laughs> And yeah. like if he had chat GPT, SpongeBob could have written that essay. Like he that's could have at least feel. started. That's how I feel when I'm writing sometimes. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just like cannot get out of my own. How head do you get started? I'm, just, I'm I'm reading it while I'm trying to write it. I'm just like, oh that was terrible. Delete, delete, yeah. delete, delete. Gives um, you a great place to start though. So yeah, so I mean that sort of stuff. And that would have been um I'm, you know, probably in the wheelhouse of, of if I were to start it till if I were to start that job tomorrow, like you know, half the job is res- actually helping people, trying to respond to tickets. And the other half of the job is how can you prevent support? From exactly. Um, and you, and sometimes you're so buried in tickets that you can't actually do the stuff to improve. And that's like, you know, it's a metaphor for building any kind of businesses. Sometimes you're so busy working in the, in business, the business that you can't work on the business. Very um, true. I, like I saw something on TikTok where somebody, you can get it to output things in table format. Like... Like I was asked, we were sort of like trying to get it to that. guess like what college was going to cost by the time my daughter's in college. Wow! And we and it can't do it. So it's sort of that stuff. And like I can't make predictive stuff. And she's like, it okay, won't give whatever. you personal I'm information. Like, I'm either. like, give me the average cost of college over the last ten years, formatted as a table. Wow! And it will give me like you know 1990, 1995, 2000, 2005, 2010, and just give me like two year, yeah, you know, two year private, two year public, four year private, and we'll just spit out all the averages for you. Wow! And you could probably have it like 
try to account for inflation in some way, yeah. like give you like a adjusted rate for that. Yeah, and you're like, based on this, extrapolate the next 20 years. That's crazy. That's the cool part is you can just say like, based on that, figure this out. And it, the, the memory, figure that out. Mm -hmm. and then, like how to interpret the words based on that. Like it's a very human way to talk. And it's, it's conversational. It's very conversational. Yeah. That like, I think that we're probably not even appreciating some of the more mind-blowing impressive things that it's doing like that yeah yeah i try to like just look up different potential ways to use it all the time because it's like there's yeah i mean we're probably scratching like one percent of the surface oh, know, right now it's, just, it's exciting it's just starting yeah there's a quote and we would the people would say this a lot or maybe it was just the, the ceo but I, I felt like living in san francisco it just and maybe it was the time of being there it just it really did feel like living in the future and there's a phrase but maybe it's a sci-fi author. I'm gonna butcher if I try to guess who it was. But the but the quote is, uh, "The future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed." Mm. That's so true of ChatGPT, right? Like yeah. I would say that probably ninety percent of people don't even know it's out yet. Yeah, it's already. That's it. Yeah, it's coming for us. It's coming That's for cool. Us. Yeah. yeah, it's a very exciting thing. Just trying to like observe and stay with whatever that future is. I really like that quote. Yeah, it's a cool quote. So going back to Tilt for a second, kind of want to like as a way of kind of segueing to the next chapter of your career, sure. um, could you talk a little bit about what ended up eventually happening with Tilt and yes. what that meant for like a, a change in your career and like going from there? Because we kind of like hopped straight into um, Good Cigar Company, but there's like a whole story behind yeah, like yeah. what led and you I there. Get, I'll get real shiny object with all these conversation <laughs> threads. So uh, I'll try to bring it all back together. So. Um, like I said, there was a tilt. There was a tilt on every corner. So this was just, it was a time where it was very easy to fundraise. Venture capital firms had a lot of money. They were all kind of like, just a great time to be in that sector. Um, Do you think it's gotten harder to fundraise? Oh, since then there have been waves. I think we're right now in a very difficult fundraising environment yeah. for most things. Partially um, the economy, I'm sure. Partially the economy, partially like just, you know, performance of tech stocks right now in, in, public markets, um, partially the like crypto crash. Um, there's just a couple bubbles. There's a lot up. of headwinds against, um, against right now, but there's also a lot of capital out there. Um, and a recession is a really great time to start something. Agreed. Um, so if you can do it, do it. Um, but so, you know, tilt experience, like I said, we were focused on college kids. So, that, so the thing about focusing on college kids is that that we were really hitting the growth numbers insanely. Like our objective, we were trying to grow 20% month over month. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and we were hitting that for a very long time in terms of like, that's know, very impressive user wow. numbers or revenue coming through the app. But, but to get a lot of those students, you know, we're in, we're incentivizing adoption. We're waiving fees. We're, we're not, you know, the, the business model, made sense but it had to be enormous in order to justify its uh you know in, in order to sort of be the kind of business that we wanted it to be right like the kind of big vision of the irs like you know we would we would refer to it as like a social network around around money mm -hmm. um, and you know we're like just the classic you know, all of us think we're going to be just like multimillionaires when it ipos we're you know we're tilting uh just like a giant boat on the in the bay for Halloween parties, we're tilting a private jet to Vegas for one <laughs> night to that. like see a DJ and <laughs> and uh, talk about feeling just unbeatable. 
Oh, we were feeling like we're on top of the world. We truly <laughs> would describe would describe it to people. I'm like, it's like Facebook and Amazon had a baby as well. <laughs> we really thought that we were building. And there's a there's a there's a you know alternate timeline where to achieve that that mission, it was it was not like it was a total swing and miss. Um, Sounds like you've got something to take up with the creator of the multiverse. Exactly. I said, yeah. put me on the other yeah, timeline. Exactly. Just throw me <laughs> into the other timeline. I'd love to see what that looked like. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so we were, you know, our, our CEO is just like leading. He's a, he was a fantastic, very charismatic leader and just was like, all right, you know, we're about to close this next round. Da, da, da. And at the time you, you have a little bit of sense of, of the funding of the business and, but not, not a perfect sense into it. And so it's easier as a leader to give total clarity into something when everything's going great. It's harder to know exactly how much to reveal when things are really tight and mm-hmm. you don't find out people are like, Oh, last year we like, you know, we were one like client away from missing payroll. And it's like, yeah. as a leader, you don't want to say, Hey guys, we might miss payroll. It's not easy to be inspirational when you say that. Exactly. Um, and so, kind of out of nowhere we get called in one day and they're like hey guys we you know had a had a we're hoping to get a deal on this latest fundraise round that fell through and so we were out of options and so we uh we've been acquired by airbnb just like mic drop and we were wow like, what that's crazy which first of all it's like why airbnb that doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't totally make sense to uh, to us and the narrative was airbnb is building out like it, they want to make it so that and if you're traveling in a group of people, you're renting a house that everybody could chip in. And we're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Fast forward, that I don't think they ended up building any of that at all. Um, it was just a situation where we needed out immediately. It was either, I think the CEO had the, really had the decision on his plate of like, you can either take make a, a deep cut and you can fire 70 people and run try to start this over with a team of 10 or get out now and sell and you know he'd been pouring his life into it for five years and it was just it was an understandable thing that for him you know all of us who had equity in it and hoped to be like i said multimillionaires, like all of those dreams were dashed and i think i think um he was able to to i think have a decent exit or or have his stuff converted into airbnb stock and oh, nice. really well on it and, and it's you know it had this amazing experience that sort of enabled him to go and do, you know, the other things that he was going to do or, or lead a team at Airbnb for a little while. And so I had the dilemma of saying like, okay, you know, either apply for a job at Airbnb or should I go full time on this thing that I've been moonlighting on? So, so while I was at, at tilt and real quick, like interjection here, sorry to interrupt. I would guess that, um, if, if they were going to keep some of the team of tilt, I would guess probably not the enterprise team, right? Because no. that's like a whole different business exactly. model than why they acquired yeah. it. So what, what Airbnb needs is good engineers, right? There's like mm-hmm. a joke in Silicon Valley that like when you're evaluating a startup, it's like take every good engineer that that they have and for every good engineer, you add a, add a million dollars to the valuation and for every MBA, you have subtract $150,000. Really? That's okay. That's the joke. Um, <laughs> and it's true when you're building a tech company, like engineers are just that much more valuable because they're the ones truly, you know, building your, your app. Um, and they're, they're, you know, good engineers are a lot more difficult to replace than, you know, somebody like me who was in customer support or product manager or, or any number of different roles. And so Airbnb needed engineers and, um, no one was guaranteed a spot. It was basically like Airbnb was buying us and everyone has to interview for a spot there. So I think they, they maybe only took like 15 or 20 of the 80. Wow. Um, Maybe a little bit more than that, but that sounds about right. Um, 
and so you know for we're all kind of kind of kind of trying to keep the lights on and there's like a little bit of funding to kind of sunset the thing and to set up the page for students at UCF to be like hey what where's Till what happens mm-hmm. when I go to Till and you know, the message that's like hey we've you know agreed it's to been great memories, <laughs> for the memories. Uh, and so you know for the months leading up to this I had been using tilt actually to to validate this concept that i had which was like a direct consumer cigar brand so getting it you know around to this experience that like guys like us like it occasionally but you probably don't have a humidor you probably aren't sitting a bunch of cigars it's it's a tough thing to get into because it's an expensive hobby it's an expensive hobby and you need you kind of need to be a full-on nerd about it there's no equivalent to like picking up a six-pack uh, mm-hmm. of cigars you kind of have to have like a kegerator at your house like, right like that's the level of of commitment into the hobby that you need to like do it regularly enough and so you need you know you need a cigar you need something to cut it with you need something to light it with you need some place to store it that's in optimal humidity which mm-hmm. is like takes space a lot takes of money to, to 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 buy um so that means most people end up when they're doing it they're like oh and it's intimidating. You sort of feel like you've got to do it right. You don't want to cough. You don't want to look dumb. Um, so these were all of the kind of things that I wanted to address with what I was doing, which was called Good Cigar Company. And the idea was that, hey, if you're not a huge cigar guy, if you're not a huge cigar smoker, I don't want to say guy because there's a lot of women getting into cigars as well, especially in Atlanta um, where we ended up moving. But, um, you know, the, the, the product was we're going to give you uh, you're going to buy a pack from us. And the only decision that you have to set is like the intensity level. We're going to offer like mild, medium, or full bodied. And then within that, the cigar that we're going to like put in this pack for you is going to be reliably good, curated by us. You don't have to worry about smoking something that's not good or knowing what brand is like attractive and what's not. Yeah. Cause I've stepped into like the rooms and like a cigar bar or something to pick one out it, you get this like paralysis of analysis if yeah, you're not like a total nerd on it. You, like you, you don't saying. know, you don't know which one of those things is gonna like knock you out. Like you're like, scene, oh, this one looks cool, yeah. I guess. It's like that scene in the Sandlot where all the kids do chewing tobacco and they're all like yeah. growing up. Like if you, you know, pick the wrong thing, it really could knock you out. If mm-hmm. you, especially if you're like inhaling, you don't know not to inhale. There's just, there's just a lot of things to to know. And most cigar shop owners are like, at least in my experience as being like in my early twenties and going to shops, like. They weren't even nice to me. They weren't like if I was them, I'd be like, "Oh, how cool that you're in my store. You don't look anything like the usual like 55 year old retired vets who come in here every day to play cards." But they are very intimidating. I mean, that's funny you say that. They don't do a good job of welcoming people in, and so that's what I really wanted to do um, with the brand and with our products. And so our product was um, two cigars uh, in a. There's two cigars, a cutter matches, and then a tasting note card that would describe like, "Hey, this is the." You know the Oliva Series G Cameroon wrapper, and it's a it's a uh, robusto size, so it's a five ring gauge and a fifty length. And we're gonna give you sort of like tasting notes. You're gonna pick up from this like a little bit of. Um, it's like having a sommelier for your cigar. Exactly, like the little card that you see when you're shopping at the wine store, and it's like, oh, this got a ninety one in Wine Spectator, and you're gonna pick up like it's gonna be fruity and bold and. A lot Have of- you heard of Cooper's Hawk? familiar with that it's this restaurant that does these it's like a a monthly subscription for like a wine tasting you get a wine tasting for two and then two bottles a month okay and they have like during the tasting you get this whole card where it like outlines all the different flavors of the wines and like they walk you through it so that's exactly that's exactly what good cigar did so all of that was in a attractive little um bag that was sealed and and in the cigar we would put this 
humidity packet that would keep it at optimal humidity. So for like a nice. year inside the packet would be exactly 72%. Wow. So when you open, so it allowed us to create for people this kind of like six pack ease of, Hey, somebody's coming in town. Let's light up a cigar. Let me just like rip this open. And like, I've got one, you've got one. We can cut it. We can light it. There's instructions on the back of the pack on how to smoke a cigar. If you don't know what you're doing. And then this little card that will help us sort of like for the five minutes that you want to, speak intelligently about this you're like oh does, are you getting like you know hay and like yeah. pepper here like no me neither <laughs> you know who cares uh and so that was that was the concept so i'd use tilt to validate it, right so this was you know using all of the the functionality that we had built in for college kids to be like hey do you know do we want to sell a shirt for our party no uh so <laughs> i use that to be like hey let's get some of these made um let's do like kind of a, a low fidelity version of it i worked with a designer who worked at Tilt and just like in the off hours was like, hey, can I pay you 500 bucks to help me design this? And my friend Carly who worked there was like, hey, you're a great photographer, can you help me shoot this? And so I just put it up as a Tilt campaign with the picture of the product and and we launched it, I think December 1st, and or maybe, no, it was around Thanksgiving, uh, saying like, hey, do you know what you're getting your dad for Christmas or your brother or your uncle? Like that kind of, you know, that's a hard person to buy for. This is a perfect stocking stuffer. It's twenty five. Yeah. It's twenty five bucks. And oh, that's a good price, actually, really, because yep. you're typically paying for like a good cigar. You're typically paying like fifteen bucks for yeah, really exactly. a decent um, one. So you're actually saving there and getting the convenience. Yep. And the the long term vision there was like you know it's difficult and and in some cases illegal to to market tobacco products. So the long term thinking there was like you know if we become a reliable brand or destination where people who are getting into cigars would trust us to curate cigars for them then we should be able to get like really attractive price points from the suppliers to sort of put their cigars in a really fantastic light for somebody to enjoy them the way that they're meant to be enjoyed and you know when we were scheming out the concept of it i was like i was even thinking we would get them free that we would be like an advertising vehicle for cigar brands um that was sort of the vision of of the company and to some extent you know like we we got people to buy into that but but getting back to the you know that chapter of tilt so i had the goal i think we wanted to sell maybe a hundred of them that was like what i was like this is the threshold where if i can sell more than a hundred of these like a hundred of the two packs yeah mm-hmm. then then you know we have something there's something here and we sold 200 of them and wow. that, was, that was buoyed by the fact that everyone who was buying them were my friends who worked at Till, they were users of the app. They were mm-hmm. trying to get other people to use the app. So they're buying it, just helping me out. And then they're sending it to their brother or their dad or their mom. Saying like, Still hey, a great way to start a user yeah, base, though. Yeah. So, it was, yeah. so that was fantastic. And so I was like, okay, this is great. I'm, you know, it's going to take me maybe like six more months of moonlighting. I'm going to keep my day job. I'm not like going to jump into this ship right away because there's so much more to do. And so we like got everything out. It was kind of crazy to assemble everything in the, the floor of my living room in San Francisco yeah. and, and like walk, you know, boxes to the post office to, to ship them all out. And we just truly on the last day that we could get them out make, to make sure they're under the tree was when we got them to the post office. And then, you know, I'm like all Christmas break, just sort of dreaming about the next year and, and getting that off the ground. And then our first day back, they were like, hey, we're we're going under we're, we sold to Airbnb. Everybody's got a, got an interview. So that was the moment where I was like, okay, I've got, I can either go and interview for a job and I ended up getting an offer at Airbnb. And so I had this offer of, do I want to go and work there or go full time? And what kind of position was that offer for? It was, 
and Airbnb was a much, much bigger company than Tilt was at the time. Mm-hmm. So that it was they had this concept called super cities where they where they really wanted to lean into Maybe more of the experiences. Yeah, so building up the experience side of their business. I did a speakeasy tour one time when I visited Austin. Yeah. That's the only time I've ever done one of those experiences. It was awesome. Yeah, it's, it's like, a cool thing. It's been slow, slow adoption rate, I think, for it, for the company. Um, but really, really like great idea and way for them to expand, especially if you're a host. You're sort of like, hey, someone's coming and staying at my place in Austin. I also can lead a, you know, a speakeasy tour and mm-hmm. then take my nightly rate from... 200 bucks a night to maybe like 300 bucks a night. Yeah. Makes sense in so many different ways. But at the time, I think like SF was one and Barcelona was one. And so I was going to be like a operations lead of super, the super cities program. I didn't even really understand much, much of what it was, but probably earlier in the concept at that point. Yeah, exactly. And so I knew Airbnb was an amazing place to work. Um, but, but my wife had at that point worked at Airbnb for seven years. So, and so I was getting, I was getting a little bit of, um, that's a long time. I know. I knew that she worked there at the time. I didn't know. That I may have my long. years wrong, but some like she had been there for for long enough, such that I even got like a little tip off before we were told that we were selling that Airbnb. So like the the news uh, had broken okay. on at least on her team. Oh man, that must have had that must have been a tough thing to keep quiet. It like, was a weird. It was a very incestuous like situation. Yeah. Like hey, like my wife's telling me stuff that's happening at her company because her company's about to buy my company. Yeah. Um, it was a wild time, but I, I was like, you know what, I've as a family, if Airbnb takes off, like we already have a kind of like toe in this pool. Yeah. And for me, the dream was always to start something. Mm-hmm. So that was like, this is the moment to do it. We don't have kids. We're young. My wife has a great job. We like, we've been saving a lot. So let's, let's go. And so that's what, what a perfect time to do it. Yeah. That's what I did. So there's maybe the winter of 2016, 2017. Um, and, we were off to the races. So I was like, you know, to go my job. And I, I was able to get paid by tilt to almost like sunset thing. So everybody was gone. There was a little bit of money just to keep the lights on and wind things down. And so I was able to like, you know, cash some checks doing that, like the odd jobs of, 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 you know, the handful of people who still needed to like get their money out of the platform. Just realized now that you gave me the actual timeline, cause I couldn't remember exactly when tilt got sunsetted, but just realized I've kind of got beef with the whole process now because I was the treasurer of my fraternity <laughs> the year after. So I had to so do then you had everything. everything by hand. You yeah. the old school. A lot of Venmo requests, a lot of yeah. follow-up texts. Yeah. A lot of people hating you. But well, yeah, we, I we wish I would. We would have loved to have around. <laughs> yeah. We would have loved it to have gone differently. <laughs> Funny. But I mean, it brought you to Good Cigar Company, and then yeah. I mean that's been going really well. So, so what has happened since the last time we talked with Good Cigar Company? Because I know you've got some updates on so, that. So, um, all in all, I, I ran Good Cigar Company for about eight, maybe two and a half years before um, it was acquired. So we had a we had a very similar competitor, and we just sort of felt like we were like both kind of just like you know really competing for the same eyeballs of the same audience of the you know kind of like the guy like you who will smoke occasionally but, mm-hmm. but not often enough to like you know buy a box a box is 20 cigars which yeah is insane like it's even as somebody who likes cigars it's just a it's a wild starting point it's like it's a hard thing to justify like 
because the the one year mark of like how long it's gonna stay fresh for is a pretty good amount of time, especially if yeah. you're just getting oh, yeah. one pack. Like yeah. you're going to use that, but twenty if you're occasional, you're probably not gonna go through twenty. Yeah. And if you're and if you've got twenty, then you're gonna need a humidor, and you and a humidor you can keep them in there. If you keep it humid, the cigar will last you know years. Mm-hmm. It, will, there, it really won't go bad if you keep it in in optimal condition. Um, but it's just it's just it's really like somebody who drinks beer being like buying a keg. It's just like it's a certain kind of person you're deciding like, i'm gonna be that guy I'm drinking every day and mm-hmm. this is why i need a keg so there's just was not something that was like a bottle of wine for cigars unless mm-hmm. you're going one at a time to the store and you're storing it in a little ziploc bag and if you don't smoke that in six seven days it's probably drying out and you mm-hmm. realize it um so um so about anyways so two and a half years in total um i guess life stuff happening in between there was my wife and i left San Francisco to move to Atlanta. So California, which is where we started the business, which was a, it's a great place, San Francisco in particular, great place to start a company, maybe one of the best places to start a company, but one of the worst places to start a tobacco company, um, which, you know. Because of the regulation? Because of the regulation and, and honestly, the, the like attitude towards cigars and tobacco, understandably, um, but mostly the taxes. So, so, California voted to raise its tobacco tax from something like 15% to 60%. All of this all of this is designed to make it harder for people to buy cigarettes, but they don't wow. carve out within the laws like uh, exemptions for premium cigars, which is not the point. They're not worried about 17 The like side effects of it. Or even like they're not worried about underage smokers of $15 cigars. Like I don't mm-hmm. think they're having a big problem with like kids going in and buying those and and that's really not as long as you're smoking less than one or two cigars a day there's really i'm not going to say that they're good for you they're absolutely not good for you but mm-hmm. but there's almost no limit. it's not going to put you in like habitual cigarette smoker territory right yeah. right um but there, there's just you know it's tobacco that's which is obviously harmful um so there's a lot of headwinds to that and so when they raised the taxes it just became immediately unprofitable for us to be based in um we just didn't have the margins to that's support. a massive, massive hike massive hike so we moved to atlanta um really just for no reason at all other than like if if this fall if i can't if this doesn't work or if my wife isn't able to work remote for airbnb we need a big enough city that we'll like we can get jobs in again yeah so we just picked atlanta kind of like a lot of good startup type of stuff going on in Atlanta too. Yeah, especially now. Not mm-hmm. not so much when we we were there. We moved there maybe like 4 years ago. Okay, yeah. It's really kind of recently last couple of years yeah, it's, become that Yeah, it way. really is. It it was a cool place to live um for the time that we were there and we moved to Atlanta which ended up being a great place to be for that business because there's a big there's a big cigar scene in Atlanta. Um and it was okay. just a lot more favorable towards what we were doing and I feel like in San Francisco we were like you're a drop in the ocean of like, hey, hey, I have a startup. And they're like, oh, you too? You and everybody yeah. else in this coffee shop. You and um, every neighbor I have. Literally everybody <laughs> I'm looking at. Um, yeah. And in Atlanta, it was a little bit more unique and and people thought it was cool and it was just a great place to, to be and to grow that um, that business. And there was a lot of things that we did really well. And, you know, for me, it was just where getting to wear every hat and you have this, you know, you're working somewhere and you're in the back of your head, you're like, oh man, if I was... 
I was in charge, we'd be doing this or this or this or this. And you can you know, fantasize about that. And so it was great. To be, it's very humbling actually doing it. Very sure. humbling to realize yeah. that like you got to do it all. And if you mm -hmm. don't do it, then nobody and it's not getting done. And you, a lot of things you thought you were good at, you're actually not very good at. And um, stuff you thought you might like, you actually don't really like. Um, to learn. Start to say, oh, I thought I had a work ethic. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turns out you just have like constant imposter syndrome. Yeah. You're like, oh, man, how does anybody do this? Or I'm like, I'm terrible at this. Um, so, you know, definitely tons of ups and downs um, in that business. But but ultimately, you know, the, the tricky part about that business um, was mostly customer acquisition. So, like, when you're running specifically like a direct consumer brand, right, the kind of lifeblood of that, the, the metrics that you track are what is your customer acquisition cost and what's your LTV, what's the long-term value of your customer, and like if you those two things, as long as you know the, as long the as those are economics good. work out, you can probably, you know, rinse and repeat. But but paid acquisition and specifically paid acquisition on platforms like Facebook and Instagram is kind of the lifeblood of consumer brands at that time. Like you're just if you're Casper or Warby Parker, you're just like spending a ton on Facebook for ads and measuring the clicks and saying like, okay, we're, you know, it costs us about 25 bucks to get a customer or, you know, and at that time it was a great time to be doing it. It was sort of like, you know, just a sweet spot in digital marketing. But for us, we couldn't do that. So like, it wasn't even that the laws were restrictive about advertising. You know, it's like, we can't try to get somebody who's not 18 or in some cities 21 to buy cigars. But for us that like the terms of service on Facebook ad policies and Instagram ads or Google ads were like, you know, no gambling, no porn, no tobacco. And we would just get lumped into all of those kind of like R or X rated activities that they just gotcha. don't want on the site. So we could not. It just dramatically limited what you were able to do. Yeah. So for us, we had to figure out other ways of getting in front of customers that were a lot less scalable. So like usually what you're doing there is you're like, all right, we're going to spend you know, 50 bucks a day, 100 bucks a day on Facebook Marketplace and figure out an ad where, okay, we're reliably getting customers for X. Once that works, then just apply budget. Like that's a moment where you say, like, okay, then let's now go and get capital and let's pour money into this business. And for us, we had to kind of take like bigger swings. We'd be like, okay, we're going to spend $3,000 for like placement on this men's interest site and gotcha. hope that it converts. And if it does convert, that's great. Let's do it as often as we can do that. And um, what a challenge it was, yeah, super challenging. It was the hardest part of running that business, and ultimately, we just never quite got to a place where we could reliably spend a dollar and get two dollars. And you kind of need to figure that out. Mm -hmm. like we had people liked the product when we got it in front of people, uh, you know, it did what we wanted, and we added on a subscription element to it, which was much easier because then you're spending acquisition costs once, and then you're you know, if you lock them into a lifetime value, is way better, way higher. Um, and so we built that out and, but ultimately, so I was kind of like staring down the barrel of my daughter being born. So this was maybe like a few months before our, we had our first kid and was just, you know, my, my business partner, they had had a baby. He was like getting more and more busy with his job. And he was, he, I think he just at one day was like, Hey, I've got to like for a few months, I'm going to be way less available. And I just sort of suddenly felt alone and felt like we were just pushing a boulder up a hill and the hill wasn't getting any less steep and the boulder wasn't getting any less heavy. And the, you know, I'd, I had met the founder of our kind of like rival company and, um, just went and met up with him and kind of entertained the idea of joining up and ended up like really seeing the merits of that. And they were in a, a position to be able to 
afford to buy us. We could not have afforded to buy them. And, and I think you had mentioned off air, um, they had just figured out a couple pieces of it that you hadn't quite figured yeah, out yet. So for them, I think they had figured out, um, maybe that acquisition really the channel. So for them it was YouTube. So they, they had, they were paying a bunch of like YouTube channel. There were, you know, guys who would sit in their backyard and review. It's like, um, Gary V's wine library. Yeah. 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 Very for cigars. So, so, and I had, I'd seen a lot of those guys and just in my mind, I was like, Oh, these channels, like, they're going after kind of guys who smoke all the time. That wouldn't, that's not really in our wheelhouse. And we just never really explored that. And they had done it and it was working really well for them. And that was an area where they were going to, they were able to kind of rinse and repeat and grow to a subscriber size. that was a lot bigger than ours. You know, so like I said, my, my daughter was about to be born and this is this, just this part of the business where it sort of felt like, okay, either you, you know, double down or this is a, this is, a time to, to get out. And so I was really, I think for me, I, I had to really evaluate like, what did I want the next few years to look like? You know, how, you know, how was it feeling at the time? And, you know, I think leading up to that business, I had just always been salivating at the idea of starting something. And, and honestly, and this is still true of me to, to, to some extent that I think I, I like the starting of it more than the running of it. Right. I had picked that up. Yeah. I like the zero to one, uh, instead of the one to a hundred. Um, and just felt like at that point in the life cycle of the business, I had like, you know, I had done it. I'd, I'd started something. We had gotten, you know, attention from all the places that I wanted to be. We were on Uncrate. We were on Huckberry. We were on Gear Patrol. We were like kind of all of these men's interest places. I, we had, um, raised a little bit of money. So I had that experience. Um, and then we had an opportunity to sell it. And I was like, this is a really neat and tidy little like arc to, to put a bow on this and have the story to say that like, Hey, I started something and, and l let this carry me to the next thing. And I think I, I think I l liked the vision of being a serial entrepreneur more than I liked the vision of becoming like the cigar guy. Like even when we would, we went, um, to like Vegas for conferences and we go to these cigar conferences, I would look around and I would be like, I'd, I don't know if I want this to be my life. Um, mm -hmm. I've, and I've, I've heard it said since, and I think this is really true that like, if you're gonna if you're gonna start a business, you better be certain that you like your customers. Um, and I, you know, a lot of times there, there were a lot of people. I think the people who were trying to get into it, or especially people buying gifts, I really enjoy that aspect of it. But anytime I would get somebody who was like a, to be like a snob, snobby, opinionated yeah. cigar smoker who would sort of like, you know, write to be like, oh, why'd you send me this thing? I hate this cigar. This is blah blah blah. Like the kind that glare at you when you walk into the cigar bar yeah, just, and you clearly don't know what you're doing. Yeah, people who, <laughs> who like that's their way of asserting how much they know about it to sort of put down other people's tastes or other people's about opinions about it. Um, I think that exists in a lot of industries, unfortunately. Absolutely. I think any, you know, anytime that you get over a certain like tipping point of hobbiness, you become like almost a gatekeeper to other people who want to, who oftentimes just want to enjoy it. Um, so, all of these things happened. It was like, you know, it was nice to have a little like payday right before my daughter was born, you know, um, perfect timing. Yeah. So that was good. And, and in doing that, and this can be a kind of a transition into what I, what I got into next, but while I was entertaining that option, I had no, I have no idea how to, how to think about like winding the business down or how to sell a business. And so I reached out to the CEO of tilt and I was like, Hey, James, hope all's well. This is what like, curious if you have any advice on this and he's just like 
after that, he got into like doing a lot of startup investing and just is super involved with a lot of younger founders in, in the Bay Area and, and Silicon Valley. And um, he was that it was just really interesting timing. And he was like super enthusiastic. And I was you know telling him about what we we're doing. And he was like, well, hey, it's funny that you call right now because I'm working on like starting something which is like very much in this wheelhouse of a direct consumer brand. And his background had only been in software and he'd been at, at Tilt and then been at Airbnb. And he was like, what if like I'm hap- I'll help you sort of think through and, and give her give some advice as you navigate this the sale in in exchange, like you how about just for a little bit, like I know your you know, your daughter's just about to be born and no long term commitment, but I'll and it was just like I'll pay you. And I was like, This is a point where I'm taking everything that Good Cigar was doing and funneling it back into the business and we weren't like going hungry or anything, but it was just you were staying lean to like yeah, make sure it staying kept lean, growing. It was just appealing to be like, oh wow, a paycheck. Like, yeah, I remember, I remember that. That felt nice. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, sure, great. And so for me, that was this really great immediate transition into like, all right, let me just now like do it again. This is like a totally different wheelhouse. And so he was starting a, um, I guess you call it like an energy drink, but but the goal was to kind of make like what five hour energy might look like if it was started in 2020 and not, you know, 2005. So like you kind of know the they've way never it. changed their branding. I know not it's, even it's a little great. bit. And the brand, the branding thing isn't even, a, isn't even a problem. I think it looks exactly like it needs to look to be like, you know, just a grab and go in the gas station, but you also kind of know that it's not good for you yeah. when you're taking it. Like it <laughs> works. I don't know if it works for five hours, but, um, the, does what it's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. and so the the idea that James has ha- had had was when he was running Tilt, he was, um, you know, like super caffeinated, like five cups of coffee a day. He was like 29 and running this like 80-person startup that had yeah. raised $50 million. And so just like really like, you know, over his skis a lot and was caffeinating himself so that he could do everything that, that needed to get done and ended up having some sort of like crazy heart, like palpitation thing and had to go see a, a doctor and um, – just the doctor he's explaining like how much caffeine he's having and the doctor was like hey you should you you know you gotta switch to one cup a day and so james started looking at all of these other things like adaptogens and nootropics and other ways to kind of get that like harness what you need to you know, like the brain power and like output that he felt like he was getting from yeah, it yeah exactly so he's like you know having some caffeine having a normal amount of caffeine like 100 milligrams 150 milligrams maybe and then adding on to that like L-theanine, which is an amino acid that helps extend the, your body's absorption of caffeine. So instead mm, of getting like okay. the kind of jitters from... Things that uh, kind of help with the bioavailability and exactly, other stuff. Exactly, exactly. So he had done all of this research on and was getting really into like, um, you know, some of these kind of like functional mushrooms like uh, ashwagandha and, or I don't know if ashwagandha is a mushroom, but reishi, cordyceps. Um, so he had this little concoction that he had been taking and had been workshopping over the years. He's like, let's, let's just through like trial and error. Yeah. So then he's like, this is the the formula. This is what we want to make. So let's make a drink. And so, which is very different than making a, you know, little cigar kit. Um, but we're just kind of a new challenge. Yeah. So after the races of like, here's, you know, I've got little Ziploc bags and powder and, and I mean, he, I think, no, it wasn't even Ziploc as powder. He was buying off Amazon. Like he had like this little stack of 12 bottles that he was taking every day alongside his coffee. And so, wow. So worked with him to take that all the way to like, a, you know, a product testing, a 15 pack of, of bottles that you could buy off of Shopify. And so that was like the, you know, the manufacturing of the drink, the packaging, the website, the, you know, 
um, go to market and all of the ins and outs. It was a lot of stuff that I had done with Good Cigar, and to do it with him was a way to do it with budget. So he had raised he I think because of you know his his pedigree and skill set and his track record. Even even though the tilt, what you know, tilt didn't IPO, but like he learned a lot. Even building a yeah, team building like this that. Thing this thing that was successful in a lot of ways just didn't make it to the end. Um, and so we were starting from a point where he was able to raise a million dollars, like before we even had a, had a product. Wow. And, and only gave away, I think 10% of the company to do it. So like, wow. Commanded just like a very high valuation, which is a, yeah. a big thing to, to, you know, you then have to build a very big, a very big business to justify that and to get out and still get the kind of returns that an investor would want. So, so you know, immediately after selling Good Cigar, was able to just like jump right in with James and, um, and which was great because I, I feel like I was able to ride the high of like, hey, I did this and now I'm doing it again. And, and like that whole experience, like, you know, put me in a spot where I could do this. I don't think that, you know, I, this is exactly the kind of work that I want to be doing. And I don't think that James would have trusted me to build his, you know, brand where he raised, you know, you know, he's, or I think I started good cigar with like about $12,000 for like the initial inventory and design out when, uh, at Magic versus Mind, a million, Magic Mind, we started with a, a million dollar check from a very legit, um, venture capital firm. So, uh, like in a sense, I, you know, I, once I put aside the kind of dreams of like hanging out on the good cigar yacht, you know, like this was a, a just a really spectacular, spectacular uh, situation for me to be able to like tell this, this story and be able to, you know, to have built a, a cool product and, and, you know, have a lot of cool experiences and get press and get attention from a lot of things that I wanted and then immediately jump in and be able to do it and do that zero to one again uh, with James. And so learned a ton there, just, you know, very little overlap on, energy drink to to for from tobacco um but obviously the beauty of that is it's a lot easier to advertise it's a lot yeah advertise. it's a much much bigger market um, much bigger market much bigger budget much easier to advertise yep. um and just you know you've got like there's just a higher willingness to try something like even somebody who's loyal to red bull or loyal to coffee like the need for everyone is the same of like oh i'm feeling sluggish or i want to like get more done you know is a easy thing to be like hey try this try this new thing try this for five days let us know what you think um, that's a great point there's really not a ton of brand loyalty for energy drinks or like yeah, coffee or anything it's i mean from a business opportunity it's a really smart thing to get into because once once it is a habit like you're taking it a lot right so like if you're somebody who's go-to when you're studying in college or you're getting work done is red bull or monster like you don't realize the ltv of that like how much money you've given to whatever your caffeine provider of choice is over the years. Um, Mine so, is anything I can get my hands on. Yep. <laughs> I've started drinking bangs sometime, which I know is I went through me, a bang phase. They work. They definitely they do. work. Um, All too well. <laughs> All too well. So, um, so that was the, the business. And so it was, there was a subscription component to it to be like, hey, we'll just deliver this to you, you know, every two weeks or every month. Um, and... You know, like all things, like kind of, you know, you, you do the napkin math of, oh, this is like how much is going to make right away, and are you know your margins are a lot slimmer than you thought, and sh you know we're, you're essentially shipping water across. The so shipping costs are super expensive. Um, if people are drinking it every day, you're kind of like you're you're anchored a little bit to kind of like what you're spending on coffee, and so if you're having coffee plus something else, um, you know, price point can be tricky for people. Um, but so um, you know, we're just off to the races with that, and it was, the first part of it was a lot of like 
packaging design, website design, brand design, um, which I loved, and, and that's that's probably my favorite part of, of the drug consumer internet brand thing is just to be the brainstorming the, the, phase, the brainstorming phase, and and you know really the kind of just the visual aesthetic of it. I really enjoy um, that part and the go to market and, and the marketing and ended up in that role doing like having to wear a lot of operational hats and you know we need to we have a situation where we need to make 20,000 more bottles and everything's there but the cordyceps didn't arrive and now mm. where are you going to get that and if you don't have one ingredient you can't make the thing or we have enough bottles but we don't have caps I forgot to order caps oh man all that part of the business that part of that business I was very bad at um and you know but like all things you learn you know the, the hats that you like to wear and the hats that you're not good at wearing but you know end of the day like you gotta you gotta make more product if it's gonna work so so are you still operating in that business right now no so I, I did that for about two years that um you know I think we launched we launched like right before right as COVID was like swarming and, and taking your which was great it was a great time to be in e-commerce yeah because um, suddenly you're like everything's you're, moving in that you're direction used to going to your favorite coffee shop every day and now suddenly you can't and so you need something some sort of like ritual at, at home and work and um so that was a, a lucky time to be starting a like a you know e-commerce business but uh at the end of the day that like the and this, and this is true of a lot of things you know the dynamics of how you structure the partnership at the beginning of the business is so important. Um, and I, you know, coming off the heels of Good Cigar, uh, one way to describe it is it was sort of like, it's like, maybe this is, this is going to sound weird, but I heard of this analogy once that it was kind of like you're like a rebound after a relationship. Yeah. Where, like Magic Mind was my rebound girl. <laughs> and so it was like as, as great as that was going to be, it was never going to live up to, like, like good cigar, which was like, that was the thing that I really wanted. That was my first love. And I was like, you know, uh, there were a lot of great things about magic mind, but, but just the way we structured the partnership, I was coming in and I was like, Hey, this is your thing. I'm like, I'm here to help make it happen. And the, by the time I left, it sort of felt, I really felt like, you know, I had done at least 50% of the lift to get it off the ground and, and to move and, and just, you know, was doing that for you know, around 5% of the company vesting over four years. And was just like, this was mm, gotcha. the economics of this, like this would have to exit for, you know, a hundred million dollars or more. in in order for this to be like a sweet payday for yeah. me, considering and, the amount of work done. Yeah. And then, and I've now done this twice. And if I were going to leave and start something that, that was a hundred percent myself, it would only need to do one or $2 million of an exit for me to be in already a better position. So that, and that's, that's the dilemma for like any kind of like first employee. Like if you're the first person in the door, you end up kind of doing founder level work without necessarily founder level upside. And there's a, you know, a lot of those people end up, it's a great place to go and learn. I learned a ton, um, launching that business, learned a ton working super closely with James. Um, but just after two years in, which is sort of like, you know, I feel like that what that what the business even needed at the time I think was somebody who was like who has experience you know how do you how do you get your product in Costco how do you get your product in the shelf at Whole Foods mm -hmm. and what are the ins and outs of that like who are you who do you use to ship it how you know how do you structure your logistics supply such chain that it, such that it goes on the pallet and is the right size that's for maximal efficiency to be loaded on the truck and how does how does it have to be labeled and how do you you know all sorts of things that I was learning and picking up as I go, but we were able to find like a, a GM who 
I don't think could have done the zero to one as mm-hmm. well, but was able to really pick up right there where we needed and, the one to hundred. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, uh, I'm still involved like very lightly as an advisor there and have some equity in that business and hope, Oh, awesome. Hope that it does well. Yeah. Um, but just left before the full contract was over with no hard feelings and no, you know, no like difficulty in, in the, that split there and, and gave a ton of time to be like, Hey, I'm, I think I want to do I want to do the zero to one again, and I think I want to do something that that feels more like mine, and let I'll help however I can in the transition to make that smooth for everybody. Because you know you're you're an owner too, so you don't want to do anything that's going to like torpedo the the success of that business. So, um, I guess left there probably about a year and a half ago, and then since then have been um, working on I guess what you call this is like a, a grandiose term for it, but you I would call it maybe like a venture studio where he and I come together and we're each putting in a little bit of capital to say hey we, you know let's try a handful of things all in e-commerce direct consumer brands and take a handful of swings or or we say plant a handful of seeds and just sort of see which ones start to yield fruit the fastest and double down on, on yeah. the winners. So we've got a beach umbrella concept we've got um a supplements product we're working on a like a pet i think i remember you telling me about the supplement one when we last talked that was like one of the first ones that you found in in like longevity the supplements resveratrol and nmn which are particularly like uh exciting to people who are like who nerd out on the biohackers biohackers and living longer those there's a book that was written called lifespan that just this guy kind of swore by those two things and there was this immediate uptick there. And so we making them more available to consumers. Yeah. There's sort of like just, you know, niche. I think think I'm not an expert in the supplement space at all, but it seems to be that those things, those trends kind of hit heavy. There's like a, you know, season where everyone's like, everyone's got to have fish oil. And it's like Mm -hmm. suddenly like everyone's buying fish oil or everyone's buying like ashwagandha or, or whatever. So, so NMN has been kind of like hot for a little while and there's now stuff that they may be like taking off the shelves because somebody may be like patenting it. There's, there's some complexity there that, and that ended up not being like a huge focus for us. I have, you know, probably 7,000 bottles of it in my closet that, <laughs> that will probably expire before we can sell them. But, but it wasn't that expensive of a lift to do. Um, and so, so that's what I'm doing now is, um, Looking for those different e-commerce opportunities. Yeah, sort of like prototyping some some things and trying to really trying to figure out like how can you it's going back to the till days like how can how can we validate that this is going to be a worthwhile place to spend our time and a and a good business, uh, and how do how can we do that in as as lean of a way as possible without you know forking down a hundred thousand dollars on a site build out or an app build out or initial inventory like how can we kind of validate that this is going to be. Something is going to be fun to do, and so the the beach umbrella concept has emerged. We joke that like we're planting all these seeds, and then the beach umbrella pretty quickly grew to like a magic beanstalk to the heavens, and we were like, okay, this is the better place to to spend our time. And so, so is that the two of you kind of founding all of these, or is it trying to identify founders that are in very early stages and kind of help them get off the ground? Mostly us founding them. So we want to cool. own, we want to build everything and, and own it. Um, outright, I probably have more of an appetite to, to do agency work, just because, just because you know, if I could, if I could do the zero to one and help people get off the ground and then let them run it, mm-hmm. that'd probably be, I'd love that. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we're still in the early days of figuring out exactly what we do want it to be, and I think there's a lot of different directions that can go. But the plan right now is that we would, you know, look at an emerging space or something that's that's doing particularly well and try to enter a market by 
quickly spinning up a brand and product and Shopify presence and Amazon presence and then, you know, hopefully figure out like, you know, throw some money in, measure acquisition cost, and if the economics work, then keep keep pumping it. And the and hopefully we, we could run. Because you've identified how to do those things very quickly and efficiently. Right. And so, it, you know, and a lot of that, you know, there's a, there's a ton of differences between a cigar product and an energy drink product, but we probably could use all of the same back office. Like those businesses could use the same person doing accounting and payroll and taxes and probably could use the same warehouse for storing inventory and the same person running like pay-per-click campaigns or, or paid social campaigns. And so the idea is to have a handful uh, of those under one roof. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, especially with the beach, like beach umbrella product, I think will be super, super lucrative. But it's a tough business because you're doing 95% of your sales in four months. And then you're storing uh, yeah. that inventory for the remaining eight months of the year. And gotcha. if you do your planning wrong and you're sitting on too much inventory, then your storage costs are really high. And it's hard to sell, you know, it's hard to move a lot of product for a beach umbrella in January. Yeah. Unless you're also in Australia where mm-hmm. your seasons are flipped. And so we're, my buddy's actually flying, or my partner is flying to Australia today. Um, to that's awesome kind of establish there so that we don't have we don't deal with that that problem so so yeah so so that's the big thing right now that's the big just thing right like now. planting those different seeds seeing like what takes off the most that's yeah. exciting yeah lets you be like have a hand in a lot of different things and kind of just like continue growing that like zero to one start off yeah like i mean it's 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 very similar to the mindset of like an investor right you sort of have that portfolio theory and you really you're going to make 10 investments and only one of them needs to be hugely successful to make the model work and so similarly Mm -hmm. for us you know we might have a couple little small things that do like two to three thousand dollars a month in revenue but if we find one that suddenly can do 20 or 30 or 40 then that becomes the cash cow and you can sort of like you just Stab- put everything into stabilize that. Stabilize that, and then once you've sort of gotten that to a point where it's efficient, then continue to run it, and then use those funds to try to, you know, try to do it again. Creating like a startup factory. Exactly. That's awesome. That's the hope. Well, I had a couple of questions, and a lot of these got answered along the way, but I had a couple of questions about just e-commerce and do, running a direct-to-consumer brand. We covered a lot of like the the steps to getting started, the ideating. One thing, um, we covered a little bit about this, like studying the market and best marketing tactics. Just as like a way to touch back on that briefly, what are maybe like the top three takeaways through all your experiences and observations that you had as far as like the best tactics when you're launching and like trying to build a brand very quickly? Um, The first one I would say is to stay lean in the beginning, right? Like um, the more that you can validate the business and validate that there's demand for a product before you spend a ton of money on that product, the better. It can be tempting to spend a year perfecting. Um, and my, my partner and I have a good balance here where it's it's more in my nature to want to like go slow and, and perfect and make sure that the first version of what we're launching is really, really great. Um, but there's a, there's a Mark Benioff quote, the founder of Salesforce, who says, if you don't, if you look back on the first version of your product and you're proud of it, you waited too long to launch. Ooh, yeah, um, that's powerful. It's really hard to, it's really hard to, to follow that advice as a founder because you're so so particular about making sure that, you know, you don't throw the product out and it's just met with a bunch of like, you know, comments of like, this is trash or, or customer support that's broke right away. Um, but 
I think every time that we have sort of erred on the side of action to, to push something out there to validate it before investing a ton, that, that has been uh, a good approach. So I would say stay lean, try to try to validate that there's a demand for something before you invest too much in it um, to make sure that people want it. So that's one. Um, one, I maybe one sort of like uh, position that I have that, a lot of people don't feel the same way about. And I think that this is changing as there was a sentiment for the longest time. This is going to almost go counter to what I just said, but I'm a big believer in like the power of the power of branding, the power of polish in how you look. And I think that 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 conveys a lot to the customer in terms of what they expect out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like how you do, how you do anything is how you do everything. And so if, if your first impression with somebody is like, Oh, this is a like, you know, this looks great. I think that that's going to like uh, just be super powerful with people and in, in, in building trust and authority as an early brand. I think that people look to quality of branding, quality of aesthetic as a marker for quality in all things. Um, and I think that there as was, much as we're told not to, people do judge books by their covers. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a time in certain kinds of businesses, especially like B2B SaaS, for example, it's like you just, it just needs to work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to look good in certain, so that's not true. But at what, and what I do, which is like a direct consumer product, usually like unnecessary products, products that are vitamins, not painkillers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think aesthetics matters a lot. Um, yeah. And people will push back on that. Things that are like a nice to have but not need to have because yeah. you're going after like a very, you're going after a different kind of client that has some money to spend, some yeah. excess money to spend and like very much does care about like the brand and the yeah. like being able to talk about yeah. it. it. There's, you know, it's hard to compete on price with with you know, Amazon Basics or the Costco brand on anything. And so you sort of have to invest in that. And I think something that I say a lot is that like, I'm not a designer, so I can say this and, and mean it, but like being thoughtful about your branding is free. Right? Yeah. Like it's not, it's not free to use a designer. It's not free to like, you know, pay Red Antler, who's like one of the best agencies in my line of work. None of that is free, but it is absolutely free to be thoughtful about like defining who your customer is and sort of understanding what's important to them and your brand voice and some of those attributes. And once you have all of that, then selecting like a typeface and colors and a mark is not that complicated and if you've really really identified like know your your brand system well and what you're trying to do and kind of the vision of what you're hoping to accomplish um it's very very powerful stuff and i think a lot of people don't spend enough time at the forefront thinking about it because i think that brand is a sort of like a vanity exercise and absolutely sometimes it can be um it depends there's, what you're there's into there's a tipping point where you've spent too much time on it um and definitely too much money on it um but uh, I think thoughtfulness at the beginning about it is, is super, super important. I like that. And then that's two. Maybe there's a third one in there. There could be two because those were two very detailed ones. Okay, cool. cool that's cool. fine. <laughs> that that covers a lot. I mean, that gives kind of, and I, I like that too because it gives kind of both per- perspectives yeah. of the aisle there. Yeah, it's like do both. It's like make it look great, but also go fast and just launch yeah. it. Launch it already. Do everything. Yeah. Do, <laughs> do it fast and do it perfect. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to cover just briefly, cause I, I want to be respectful of your time here is, um, just maybe top one or two takeaways of how to succeed working remotely. Oh man. So my, I was telling you before this, my, my wife and I were both 
we left San Francisco. So we were both remote for about two years before COVID happened. And I think when COVID happened, everybody like was lamenting for six months about like how isolating and alienating it is to be on like, you get Zoom fatigue and all these things. And when everybody started to complain, we were both like, oh yeah, like this does kind of suck. Like yeah. we haven't, it's like, we almost didn't give ourselves permission to realize how hard it was. Um, no one would have accepted that at the time. Yeah, because there's so many advantages to, to, to working remote. Um, I think um, for, for me, it's about like having a very clear list of like, I have a tendency to make a to-do list and put 10 things on it. And I, and you have this idea at the beginning of the day that you're going to do all of those 10 things and almost invariably you can't. And so yeah. I think having, um, just having a system of productivity and accountability with either if it's for yourself or just with, you know, accountability on who, who you're working with, I think is super important just because. And something that works for you personally. Yeah. 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 So I would say like having, having a to-do list and being realistic about like goals for the day, even if you're like, you know, I have. I have eight things I'd like to do today, but like if I don't get these two done, then today the day was not good. Just so having some sort of like, like very simple, achievable list of things that you need to knock out one day at a time, and then it's just about stacking good days on good days. Love it. So uh, I have a couple repeat questions that I ask okay. in every interview. Kind of went over these with you off air, but um, the first one is if you could kind of travel back in time, and I'll use your beginning with tilt. Uh, as the starting point for this. But if you could travel back in time to the beginning of starting with Tilt and kind of getting your career in startups and and e-commerce and everything started, and you could talk to a younger Will and tell him a couple things to do differently, what are a couple things you would tell him to do differently? Man, Um, I think I would, I think I'd start with encouragement and just say like, you know, everything that you're doing, like, you're always learning. And if you're not learning, you should sort of shift, you should move like the every, you know, when I my first year at tilt was customer support, which, you know, through one lens, like doesn't have a lot of overlapping, like, you know, skills to what I'm doing now, but it, like it absolutely does. I mean, sort of like you're, you're talking to customers all the time. And I think just keeping your head up high and saying that, like, knowing what knowing where you want to go, um, and saying like all along the way, everything is valuable. You're, you're constantly learning, um, or there's, there are things that what you're doing now could be teaching you and just making sure that you're always paying attention to that. Um, that's one. And I would, um, I think I built it up for such a long time in my mind that I was, I would sort of like plan and scheme and what if, um, so I think I would just say, I would just describe myself and just sort of be like, just, just do it, just launch. Just like, can this weekend, can you have, can you put something up to launch? And it's hop on chat GPT and get it to help you exactly. get started. Yeah. Just be like, you know, write, you know, here's a concept, write 50, you know, example marketing copies for that. And then mm-hmm. spend, you know, spend 200 bucks to sort of like make a cheap crappy version of the first one of it and take some pictures of it with your iPhone. It doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, just get just oh you could get some great product shots with an iphone 14 oh i know oh man it was was easy then i feel like like when 2015 there were so many things that made it easy for me to do it's it's only gotten easier yeah um so i would say that and i would i mean i'd probably say i'd i would say it's to create content yeah that's something that even now i struggle with sort of like being in front of the camera i'd rather sort of like you know pay somebody who's more uh you know just wired to want to be in front of the camera and I'll be in the background making sure. But if, if you for saying that you've been doing great with this, thank you, thank yeah, you. I hadn't noticed. 
<laughs> but I like I think that that's super powerful. And now you know even on advice I give people to start something like. A lot of times, I think the old model was like, build a product and then build an audience. Now I think it's build an audience, and then yeah. once you have one, there's a, there's a, it's, that's you the could go a lot of different build. directions. Um, and just building that skill set because if you if you can't do it, you're gonna have to pay somebody else to to do it. Yeah. So the one other question I have for you is the show is called Profession Session. I like to talk about all the different ways that things can be a profession. You've had your hands in a lot of different things and seen a lot of different ways that a profession and a career can play out. So my question to you is, what does it mean to you personally to be a professional? Uh, the, I mean, the first word that popped into my head was a reliable, right? So I think... I think to be a professional, you is is about this shift from maybe caring about the outputs and not the inputs. I think like it is easy early in your career to think that your job is to show up and to like sit in the chair and to like check the box and talk to your boss and do the thing they're giving you, but to really like really understand what it is that you're there to do and make sure that you're responsible enough to like bring it across the finish line, that you're the one who uh, knows that it needs to happen and that people can count on you um, to do that. I think that to me that is like to work with people who are professional. There's a guy that I worked with who was like a printer for marketing copy and his, the tagline of his email was um, if you think it's expensive to hire a professional, you should hire an amateur first and then see how much more that, how, like how much more that costs. Like, yeah. Um, you know, having, having, getting it done the wrong yeah, way exactly. a bunch just of times having having pride in what you do and just feeling knowing that people can count on you to to do it i love that make it happen that's awesome that's a great answer thank you well will anything else you would want to share with the audience um yeah i guess uh if you are heading the beach this summer and <laughs> you need some shade you just head to beachshade.com and uh Link will be in the description or the show notes. Yeah, I'll drop links to a couple of uh, good cigar co still active. Support that business. Magic Mind's still crushing it. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic product too. So Yeah, we'll make sure that you can find all of those in the uh, the show notes or the description, um, whether you're watching on video or listening on audio. Uh, anything else? That's all I got. Thank you again so much for being on. Thanks, this has bro. been awesome, man. Great conversation. Likewise. Great catching up. Well, this has been Profession Session. I've been your host, Brody Vincent, and my guest has been Will McQuain of many different e-commerce brands and a lot of cool startup stories. Thank you again for tuning in, and we're going to go ahead and end it there. Thanks so much for tuning into Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vincent. And if you learned anything or enjoyed this video or podcast, don't forget to subscribe here on YouTube where all of our other interviews can be found. We can also be found on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as all the socials, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, you name it. So find us anywhere, follow, like, comment, leave us a review on any podcast platforms that you enjoy. And if you know anyone that you think would be a great fit to be on the show, get in contact with me anywhere and just let me know and they could be the next to tell their story here on Profession Session.